All right. Well, welcome back. Here we are. Science in between. And uh, this is uh, our wait, first. Wait. Oh, oh. What oh. do we do first? Hi, this is Ollie. And this is Scott. <laughs> uh, and welcome to our uh, the first uh, episode of 2021. So if you're Boom. listening to this, it's it's probably sometime in early uh, January 2021. Or, I mean, or after that, sometime. No, no, after. everybody is a day of listener. You just know they are. So yes, they, they are the waiting for when it to be. Drops. When this drops, it, they're like listening to it. They're like making time. <laughs> our our f- six or seven listeners are. <laughs> it's on their schedule. It's on their calendar. It's They make Wednesdays time for it. Wednesdays at noon. That's what I do from 12 right. to 12, between 1230 and 1240, sometimes 1245. Who knows? Right. Somewhere in there. So you're that's listening to it. Are you listening to it too? Are you like. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying hypothetically, that's what you yes. do. Yeah. And so if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you, you know, we're working through uh, Science in the City by Brian Brown. What we decided to do was to take a, take a break for a second and just to kind of uh, talk about 2020 a little bit and using that as a way to you know, think about what, what lessons we've learned in 2020 that we're going to apply to 2021, assuming that we make it through to 2021, right? Uh, you know, at least through this the the, the remnants of this uh, pandemic, right? Um, is it so, remnants? <laughs> I don't know. Remnants <laughs> Who knows like where it's... we are? Right. It is. It's like yeah. that. Wherever wherever we we are and wherever we'll be, um, with the hopes that it's going to eventually um, subside. So, um, so I jot, I jotted down some notes for this. I actually did some preparation today, oh, Scott. Oh. Look at you. Look at me. Those man. those are the episodes I like, Ali. When you prepare. Those well, yeah. I, if we could just get you to prepare too, it would be awesome. It but then, awesome. but then it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be this. It, would it be wouldn't something be something else. It wouldn't be the banter. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I will say that this is the the one of my lessons from 2020 is that, and this is going to be odd because we're here. We are in a uh, technology driven medium right here. This this podcast, mm. um, and I will say that what I've learned, and, I, and we're both, I would say we're both tech people. We're both people that work in tech, and you and I are uh, for the longest time we're big prophets of of the internet and web 2.0 technology and all that stuff. We're people who were like really singing the praises, and I think the thing we've learned, what I've learned from 2020 is that while technology is pretty great and it's pretty awesome, I think what we've learned this year, this this 2020 year is that uh, it's not enough. It's not enough to, you know, fulfill all our needs because I think as we started to pull away all the things, like, I I think if you ask some people at the beginning of 2020, okay, so you're just going to spend all your time in your house. You're going to be able to watch things on Netflix. You're going to be able to buy groceries and it's have it be delivered or just drive there and have it pulled out to your car. Most people are like, sign me up for that. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, they, you know, just exist in that technology world. I'm just going to like live my life through Netflix or live my life through Amazon prime or YouTube and just have all my stuff delivered through Uber and Amazon. And when we got to the place where all the other stuff was removed, we realized that wasn't very satisfying Mm -hmm. and that it's so And and I think that's, that's what we're learning. What we've learned is that while it's a really good thing for us to have all of this, it's, it's probably not enough. And that, that the other stuff that we have in our lives are really important. So when that stuff is gone, or removed or, you know, kind of like, you know, hesitated, right? Or in some way, inter- you know, interrupted that um, our lives interrupted, that it's, um, we're realizing in between, that technology- In between, you might say. Yeah, we're living our lives in between, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
um, and uh, which is why this the name of this podcast is so brilliant. <laughs> nice. Set that up for you, man. I teed it I up. I did. Yeah, you did. He knocked it out of the park. I love yeah, it. Yes. So, so that's a, that's the uh, lesson uh, lesson one of 2020 that I'm going to apply to 2021. Is is as soon as we're able to you know get back out there and you know do the things that you know give us joy or give us greater joy, that uh, we should do that. Yeah, I like that. I mean. I think, yeah, the the thing that is related to that, I think, and builds on it a little bit, um, is is this idea of like what what this thing, this pandemic, has done to our um, what we would have talked about in the, in the before times is work life balance, like what it's done to how we divide our time and structure our time. And again, you know, going back to what you were saying, like there there have been a lot of people. And there were education people too, this sort of unschooling movement and this whole notion of like, yeah, kids should just stay home and be in front of their computers and do their, they can learn. So, I mean, not necessarily be in front of their computers, but they, all they need is their computers and their world. They don't need this school thing. It just imposes on them. It's just, you know, crushing them and, and crushing their creativity and ruining them. And, um, and I think, you know, this, this shift has really um, hopefully had us reevaluate like schools have a lot of purposes and, and we need to really um, recognize that one of the very important purposes that um, it, they have is they socialize kids. Now we can talk about whether the, if it's socializing kids exactly the way we want to. And I think the answer is probably no, but that's why we want schools to change and evolve, but it is a thing that they do. It puts them in touch with other people and it puts them into environments where they have to work with and negotiate with and understand other people. And I think that's an incredibly important function of school, but it's also a function of society. And I think going back to your point, like we thought this was going to be a dream. Like I don't ever have to leave my house. I can order my groceries. They'll come right to me. I'll sit and watch Netflix. And then you realize, no, this is a horror show. Like you don't, you don't get to like the only interactions you have with other human beings that aren't in your immediate family or immediate pod or whatever it is, is the, you know, over the internet through these screens. And, and so now the whole thing about, are you in front of your screen all the time? Like it's, it's like a non-issue. Of course you are. Cause you're, if you're not on a call, you're on your computer. And if you're not on your computer, you're on a call. And if you're not doing one of those two things, you're watching Netflix, which is also a screen. And it's like, you know, this, this thing, like, holy cow, like how do we, and, and because computers are tools that do many things, it means that they do the fun stuff and they do the work stuff. And so separating them becomes so difficult because it's not, you know, it's not like a rake, right? A rake as a tool, it has its function or it's affordance. Right. If that's one thing. Esoteric, right. right. Yeah. And it pretty much, pretty much does that one thing and, and it does it really well, but you don't get confused. Like you don't use your fork to, you know, play basketball because basketball is fun. You use basketball for that, but computers are much messier. And so this, I think this question of like, what is the role of technology in our lives and how has it bled in now that it that technology really is generic and embedded into our environment this sort of ubiquitousness you know the alexa mm-hmm. the like it's just everywhere and yeah. so thinking about how to separate it out is really i think a challenge for all so, of us so do you think this year in, in 2021 that we're gonna that once this settles that people are gonna step away from their computer or do you think it what it is is it's going to be so ingrained because we'll have spent a year year and a half ish um, in this space, do you think that the, it's just become such habit that it's going to be hard to break? 
Yeah, I think it's a great question. I don't know. I mean, the way that we think about learning, right, is that learning is um, enculturated sets of practices, right? And, mm -hmm. and you learn practices by doing those practices. And we've been practicing this weird thing now for a long, uh, for a long time, for eight months. And, and it looks likely that we're going to continue to practice this way of interacting with other people for a while more, maybe six months. So I don't think it's certainly not going to snap back into whatever the old normal was. Like, it's not just going to be like, okay, now we're past it. We got our vaccine or whatever it is. We're safe. We can go back in and we're just going to go right back to the way it was because we've spent a long time enculturating ourselves into what it means to interact with other human beings. So I think we're going to really have to fight that and figure it out. Um, and it, it makes me nervous um, a little bit because I, you know, as much as I'm a weird little introvert, I also, you know, do like people and, and the, and, and especially for me in a teaching and learning context, like that, that sort of face-to-face -face human interaction is so important. And uh, yeah, it makes, it makes me a little nervous. I'll be honest. So did you, did you add a lesson in there or was it was just building off of mine? I, I was trying um, to. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think my lesson was that um, work-life balance has always been hard, but yeah. in last, in last six to eight months, it's really become like intractable. Like how do you, you know, like you get up and walk into your kitchen and you know, like my, my daughter, she's in class on zoom and she carries her computer down and is making her lunch in the kitchen and eating it while she's in class. Right. And like, I don't know, man, like it, it just feels like we, that's going to be one of the big challenges is how do we separate back into like, this is time that I'm doing work and this is time that I'm doing yeah. home or whatever. And oh boy. Yeah. So the, I, I, you, what you're saying just made me think of a, a, a podcast I listened to recently from hidden brain. And I, I don't know if you listen to hidden brain. It's uh, it was all about uh, working from home. And so it was when when you start to miss Tony from accounting, that was the name of the episode. So go back um, November, nice. I think it was from, and so check it out. And and so what, what they talk about, they have this uh, a guy from Stanford who's a researcher in working from home. And so uh, lots of really good stuff in there in terms of like they did, you know, sort of like a, a, he's an economics professor from Stanford. And so he did an economic study of uh, working from home in, in, in China. And so they looked at a business that uh, they did uh, sort of a controlled study where some of the folks were sent, um, people who volunteered wanted to work at home. And so they took some of them and let them work at home and some other ones uh, work in the office. They found that uh, productivity of the people who worked from home went up was over like 13% higher than the people who were working in the office. However, at the end of the trial, when they said, uh, who wants to continue to work at home to both groups, like all the people who volunteered, um, half the people who were working home said, nah, I don't want to work at home anymore. They wanted to go back. And the people that wanted originally to work at home now were like, nah, I don't want to work at home either. So they, they which was really interesting um, because it was like, you know, there's so many people who were like, oh, working with, from home would be really great until you actually have to do it. Um, and then the other part was he, he identified three enemies from working at home, which I thought were really interesting. And I think whether, wonder whether this will change. He says the biggest enemies for working from home are your bed, the television and the refrigerator. And yeah, I was like, there you go. yeah. And, but I a hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. 
uh, it's like, ah, uh, like I, I have, well, we both, I'm sure have students who, you know, who are, we're having trouble getting to class in the fall because like a 9am class was like, they're still in bed or they're maybe even taking classes from bed. And maybe one of the reasons why they're not on camera, you know? Yeah. Or even, you know, like my students are on camera in bed, you know, they're like, man, I'm just in bed. Right. That's the thing. <laughs> like, All right. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, and I'm not saying they're like under the covers, like tucked in, like cuddled up, but they're laying in their beds. And sometimes that's cause it's the only place that they can see it. But um, sometimes it's like, you know, and they're honest, they're like, yeah, I just got up late and couldn't make it to class in time. So here I am on zoom. And, you know, I guess maybe there's a double-edged sword to that, but mm, boy. Um, yeah. I mean, <sighs> I'm trying, I'm trying to think like, so another lesson and I'm trying to think of how to frame this differently than the other one, cause they all sort of do weave together. And that's part of maybe what I was saying too, is it's hard to separate out what's what anymore. Right. But, um, but like one of the, one of the people who I sort of follow and read um, stuff that they write is Cal Newport. And uh, he's a computer science faculty member, and he's written an, a couple of books. He started in writing books about like how to be a good student, basically. Um, but he, after he became a faculty member, he started writing books um, that are more about sort of productivity-ish things. So his probably his most famous book is um, uh, "So Good They Can't Ignore You," um, and then he has another one called "Deep Work," um, and. Uh, he, he just writes about, um, like how to separate out this time to do really, um, for him, creative work, the way he frames creative work, which is solving, uh, you know, math problems, uh, or computer science problems. Um, but, but this idea of, you know, I feel like it has become even more the case that my, my day is completely fractured into little sort of either meetings um, or like little frenetic chunks of time that are spent doing like email or blah, or blah. Or again, in your house, it's like, oh, I got to take the garbage out or I got to do this or, and all. And, and there's, and, and so getting back to like, I mean, that was one of the things that I think is valuable about a place that's called work that you go to or office mm -hmm. that you go to is you can take a chunk of that time and go there and say, oh, I'm going to work on right. some deep work, some thoughtful work. And I think getting that heat in this new reality is very, very difficult. And so one of the things I'm trying to, you know, we're talking about what would we do different in 2021. One of the things I'm going to really try to do is figure out how to how to do that. Like, I, I don't know, like, it, do I have to create a new physical space somewhere in the house that I go to, to do that work? Do I, I, I don't know yet how to figure that out, but I feel like that's a problem that needs solving. Absolutely. Well, it, it reminds me, have you ever seen the movie uh, about a boy with uh, Hugh Grant? Sure, and, yeah. and so he's, he's somebody who just kind of works from home ish. He kind of, but he talks about his, his, his uh, breaking up his day into packets. He's like, you know, this is one little packet of time and this right. is another little packet of time. And that's kind of how I approach, you know, I, I when I, except for when I'm teaching, I'll teach, you know, like I'll have a block of, you know, if I'm teaching synchronously, I'll have a block of like an hour and a half here or three hours there, depending on the, the nature of the class and 
And so that's a, a bigger packet, but then it's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Oh yeah. I've got the laundry to put in or yeah, I'm going to, you know, do this. Or, I got to start dinner and then I'm going to run downstairs, start dinner and come back up or yeah, it's just, it's just that. And so I think that's a good one is trying to figure out how to dedicate bigger blocks of time to doing creative work. And, and some of that is not just the blocks of time, but also the blocks of space. Cause I think that we're, we're realizing how connected space and time are. Right and and very physics. Like it is very physics. Yeah, it is. I thought you'd like that. I yeah. I will say another lesson I I've learned, and I guess it's kind of connected to the first one. Is but I'm going to frame it a little differently. Is is the the power of the human connection, right? And so I and it sounds a lot like my first lesson, but let me let me tell you how I frame it. Is that so? I've been teaching a lot of synchronous. I've taught a lot of synchronous stuff on, online in, in the fall. And so I was using Zoom a lot. And, and while I hear voices from students when they participate, I'd say the vast majority of my students didn't turn their cameras on. I didn't require them because I, and I think we might've talked about this before is that, you know, I, I, I felt that was a little bit of a uh, invasion into their homes and into their, and, and actually talking to some of my students off you know, out of class, I realized how good of a decision that was because some of my students were really in some precarious situations in terms of their home life and, and where they were living and, and so on. Um, but I, I don't know these kids that well. I don't know the students I worked with that well. And, and so even though I spent an entire semester with them and I heard their voices and I read their papers, I didn't see a face. I didn't see facial expressions. I didn't see any of that stuff that would be usual cues for me to, you know, build. And I'm a more of a, like a facial person than I am like a, a voice or, or name. Like I can't remember people's names really well, but I'll, if I pass somebody, I'll go, Oh, that's so-and-so. And I'll be able to, and cause I can recognize faces and, and, and having that stripped from me in this zoom world, um, you know, even if they had put up avatars and some of them were like choosing like cats or like, you know, I have a colleague who uses just like fruit. He just had his avatar as being fruit. And it's just not the same as having some, a human face or even a human picture or a moving face, face and with expressions and emotions. Um, and again, it comes, to, it's a little bit of a, um, it's a little dissonant for me because, you know, there was a, part of me prior to like all of this going down where I kind of felt like having avatars or having these things was in, in a way democratizing, right? It was more because we had students who may be coming in with, you know, maybe they didn't feel comfortable sharing their face or maybe they were, they, you know, had, you know, a physical disability or maybe, you know, something where they were like, I don't feel comfortable being on camera. This is going to be one of those factors that was going to be equalizing. Well, when it's equal, when it's equalizing and everybody is just a name on a, on a thing, then, then that's all it is. And so we know somebody by their name, but we don't know anything else about them. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's dissonant for me because, and, and it's, a, it's definitely a lesson from 2020 that not that I'm going to, and when a semester starts in 2021, which is, you know, in a few weeks that I'll be like, okay, everybody's got to turn their cameras on. I'm, I don't feel like I'm going to move to that, but I think I might just do a better job of trying to explain to my students why that's so important yeah yeah so i'll uh, i think one of the other ones that i had um that I'll, that piggybacks on that which is um the idea of <clears throat> i think i really like you and i are sort of socio-cultural types uh theoretically right as learning a little theorists. bit a little bit yeah so um but i think 
I think even though I recognize that and talk about that, I don't think I really understood the impact of classroom culture um, until this year. And I think I would understand it even more so, though I have seen a little bit in, in some of the work that I'm doing this fall. But if, if I had some of my classes that were entirely remote, but all of my classes, at least some of my students are coming face to face. So I am interacting with some of them, even though, but like to your point, like the ones that I feel more connected to are definitely the ones that are coming face to face. Right. Um, and the ones that come and are remote, but have their cameras on, I'm more connected to them than the ones that are remote and have their cameras off to your point. And so I do think like this, as stupid as it sounds like that stuff matters. And, and the flip side of that is, so what do we as instructors have to think about? And this is what I'm trying to figure out myself. And that I'm hoping to learn for 2021 is how do you intentionally build culture? Like I'm pretty good, I think at building culture, um, in face-to-face -face classroom environments, like building rapport with students, helping students build trust and rapport with each other, creating an environment that is, that feels both safe and challenging. Um, I think I do that pretty well. It has been so much harder in these mi mixed environments. And, and again, in the straight remote environments, it feels, it, it just feels terrible. I don't know how to manage it. And so starting to think about, and I know this is what ostensibly this podcast is sort of about really is, but is how do you build that culture in an environment when, you know, to your point, potentially everybody in your room has their camera off and you don't see their face. And, yeah. um, and what is, how do you structure interactions that build that out intentionally so that you get to know the people in your classroom? And I don't think we've talked about that, but I think it's worth us taking that up at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think, I think creating that culture is hard enough in a face-to-face -face environment when everybody's co-located, right? They're in the same space at the same time. And then when you take all that and you distribute people all over, you know, maybe a county or maybe a state, um, and which is what we're talking about in terms of like university schools, or when you talk about like uh, a classroom in, you know, a K to 12 environment that they may be distributed all over, you know, a, uh, a school district, you know, how do we, how do we get them all together? Like it, to be, you know, co-located co at least technologically, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they're not sharing their cameras and maybe sharing their voices, maybe chatting here and there. Um, and that's the thing that I, I, I think we've, uh, we're learning from 2020 is that it's that's a that culture is really hard to establish which is why the discourse is so hard to have right mm, i keep right. like i keep bunk like every time i taught through the fall i just banged my head against the wall in terms of discourse because i'd get these short little responses from students which were really hard to build anything on and even though i was trying to ask really you know thoughtful engaging questions it was really hard to do um, but I think one of the, uh, one of the other lessons for me from, uh, and I, and I guess these are all kind of inter interwoven, but is the SEL stuff, the social emotional learning stuff is the critical thing for me is that with our students not being on campus and with our kids not being in schools, where are they getting that social emotional connections? I think with their, uh, a lot of them are maybe relying on their families and, and we we know that our our students are not always in the best uh, home situations and so if they're not in safe or you know supportive environments 
then they're completely isolated from anybody who is supporting them social, socially and emotionally. And so I think that's one of the things that I think we're going to, we've learned from 2020 that hopefully we're going to apply to 2021 is that uh, we need to connect to students more. We need to connect to each other more. We need to uh, send those emails. Like I, uh, a few weeks ago, I had a, a meeting with my department chair who I hadn't really seen much in, in, a, in a week or two. And I just said, hey, how are you doing? And he was like taken back that I had would ask, right? That I would ask him, how's he, how's he doing? And he was like, hey, thanks for asking. I guess I'm doing okay. And then he was like processing that. And I think we just need to be very mindful and intentional about like checking in. And if that's something that's one of those residual leftover things, practices from 2020, then I think we're better off for that. And I think what we have to do is, you know, remember that that's something that we still are going to have to do is just check in, just check in on, on our students and check in on each other to, to make sure that we're okay. Cause while there's some of, so I don't think anyone is thriving right mm -hmm. in this, we're just sort of surviving, but I think that um, we have to make sure that we check in on those folks who may not be. Um, yeah. yeah. Have I, have I talked about peaks and pits? I don't recall that in okay. this podcast. Uh, in this podcast? In this podcast? Um, are, you, are you recording another podcast? Maybe. I, I, maybe uh, the Peaks it. and Pits podcast. Damn you. Uh, uh, no, I, what it made me think of is I'm doing something this year that um, that I have not done in the past. Uh, as a, And it started out as a practice in my research group, and it's migrated into my classes now, or at least one of my classes. I don't actually do this with my graduate class. I should probably interrogate why that is. Um, but we do, um, my class, uh, my undergraduate class, uh, my science methods class meets, meets uh, twice a week. And on Tuesdays, uh, we do peaks and pits, which is um, we go around to every student class and they say one peak and one pit for them for the last week. So one one thing they're, they're feeling pretty good about and one thing that didn't go so well or that they one thing they're sad about or whatever. Um, and, and I've been doing this consistently through the whole year. And and, uh, you know, again, it's it's uh, it's a thing that has been around for a long time. Um, and, it, you know, I've heard different versions of it. A good colleague of mine, April Lumen, does stars and arrows. And, you know, there's there are different ways to frame it. But the idea is that um, it's intentional um, and it it does build community and helps people feel connected sure. to each other. And I think that I think you're right about this. And I think um, we have to. I think one of the things maybe for 2021 to keep in mind or press more into is the idea that we need to do less worrying about teaching kids content and do a lot more worrying about making sure that we're connected to our kids and we're building a community because I think that is so important right now. I mean, it's important, as you say, it's important all the time and it should be important in regular school school, but it, it's incredibly important now because so many of our kids are isolated and disconnected and they need to feel that connection. And, and we need to be much more intentional and say, look, you know, like I understand I lose half an hour of my class every Tuesday. Like that just happens. Like we have, we have 15, 15 people plus, you know, two, two others, uh, you know, two other uh, instructor types. And so we have, we have all those people do a peak and a pit and it takes about half an hour and, and you say, okay, well, right. That's an investment. 
Um, it's an investment in the community. It's investment to getting people connected to each other. And it's an investment in better learning. Like yeah. ultimately they're, they're better able to support each other's learning because they know each other and they care about each other. And um, so I think that idea of we need to make this an intentional part, not just an accidental part of what we do. Um, and, uh, and that hopefully, as you say, that carries forward to when we go back to regular classrooms to not worry so much about like, oh, did I cover all the, the lesson on, you know, electron configurations and worry more about like, do I know who my kids are and do they know each other? Yeah. We do, uh, the, we do a dinner. Our, our family does rose and thorn. That's the thing we do. So there it's the go. same, same sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And we started do cause we, maybe about maybe like six or seven years ago, uh, we found that dinnertime conversations became the, you know, the complaint fest for our kids was like, ah, oh, this was horrible today, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. And so we required them to just find one rose and one thorn in their day. And that gave them the, the chance to look for the good every, so it's like, you had to have a rose, come on, you have to look for it. And that's the thing, like I've been, I've been doing, I did something like that through the fall with uh, a joy. So yeah, what was your joy for the week? And so I didn't focus too much on the bad stuff, just focus on the good stuff. Like, okay, you had something joyful this week. What was it? And I think that mindfulness, those are mindfulness practices and and think i think that's something that i i hope sticks around with us in 2021 yeah, is that we nice. we we see more of that yeah yeah right so um other lessons I'm, i mean I'm, we've covered the ones that i thought of um i'm trying to think if there are specific i'm trying to think about like a science teaching lesson and if there's you know big profound um i mean here's one and i this that is sort of science teaching related um so one of the things that that i i've always done with my students and my pre-service teachers type students is um you know we work on how do you talk with kids um and you know things like ambitious science teaching um as a framework helps because it gives them specific sort of talk moves, right? Like revoicing and probing and pressing and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's really great. Um, but one of the things I think I've learned more and more over the last couple of years, but particularly this year when we've been doing some real analytical work of, of teachers in classrooms is that one of the hard things is, um, is understanding the purpose. So, so one of the things that we see in my, in the pre-service teachers is as novices, they're pretty good actually uh, at picking up and using these talk moves. Um, but the problem is that they, they don't have a lot of experience yet. And so they, they aren't sure exactly why they're doing it, or if they are doing if they, if they are sure about what they're doing, it, it's pretty small grain size. So it's like, okay, this kid doesn't understand this thing. So I'm going to press on that thing. Um, and that's good. I want to be clear. Like that's a huge step forward. And in many cases that puts them well ahead of a lot of science teachers, but what they're, what they need to learn or figure out or need help from us that I'm not doing a good enough job with is understanding that there's a long-term purpose to this and that you're not just using these talk moves, but you're building towards something. And that yeah. something is a norm in the classroom of how we talk to each other, but it's also a purpose in terms of, of the content that you're trying to reach. So this, you know, we talk about using gapless explanations to help them understand like, okay, I'm asking this question and it's about this little thing, but this little thing is connected to the big thing. And so mm -hmm. I want to ask a question that's going to push on that, but also help 
move forward towards that big thing. So I think in 2021, one of the ways I'm, I'm going to push myself is to figure out ways to support pre-service teachers in understanding that in, in better understanding um, the purposes of what they're up to and, and the sort of bigger goals that they're engaged in instead of the smaller um, sort of talk movie level. Yeah, I think for me, a, a sciencey one, and this is something, I guess, more than a lesson, maybe a reaffirmation. Can can we do I guess sure. that, that's- I think that's, a lot of these probably are reaffirmations. In some right. Sense. Well, I think, no, I think some of them may be disruptions, you know, a couple mm. of them are like disruptive. Um, disruptive. But the, what's that? You like that? Disruptive. I know. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the reaffirmation for me is, is the value of science and data in our mm. lives. And I think that if there's something we've learned, it was really cool to see the conversations around, you know, as, these, as the vaccines started to come in and their effectiveness. And, you know, it was cool to see that to become something that was part of, you know, it wasn't just like, hey, who won American Idol? Or it wasn't just a conversation as to who was ahead in the polls or anything like that. It was really a conversation about like different types of uh, ways of doing vaccines and the types of results that they were getting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's interesting. I, I don't know if you had this experience either, but like my, my mom um, found out, you know, she's been reading about the vaccines like everybody. And um, she, we were talking the other day and she's like, you know, they're saying these things are 94% effective or 96% effective or whatever. And she said, I didn't realize that the, the measles vaccine was only about 90% effective. And I said, yeah, like 94, 96%, like these are, these are, um, you know, these are great numbers. And if they hold up, like, um, it's going to be, uh, make a huge difference. So, so just the idea that vaccines are not as simple as, as um, you know, just I give you a shot and you're sorted out. Um, that there's that these percentages um, matter, but also that they don't have to be like vaccines don't have to be 100% effective to solve the problem, right? That's not really that's not really um, the purpose. The purpose is to to help us build this immunity. But like you say, I think it's really interesting that we're having these conversations. That people, everyday people, are having a talk about like, what does it mean for a, for a vaccine to be 90% efficacious? Is that good? Is that bad? Is it, you know, do we, does that mean 10% of the people are still going to get sick? Does it mean that, you know, what does it mean? And yeah, I do think that's nice that we're, we're hearing people talk about science in ways that maybe they haven't before. I think that's a, like, it's more of a reaffirmation. Cause I, I think we always had this, we should have always had this, you know, uh, seeing science and data as being part of our everyday lives. But I think that we're now seeing that more than ever. And that's, and that's great. And I just wish got applied to other things that weren't just, you know, so um, life-threatening, right? And right. so personally challenging um, yeah. because science and data have, you know, a lot of applications in our lives. And I think that, um, you know, because this is such a, a huge menace, um, right. that we're applying it here, but then we kind of ignore it in other places. It's like, oh, well, what's the, we, I don't even know the science behind that. It's not that important, right? What's the data or what, you know, it's, and, and, and maybe that, maybe it'll create a shift. Like we can be optimistic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it, it does help us understand though, how connected, um, personal experiences to learning, right? Like, oh, this, wow. Nice. Nice work. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. But, you know, I mean, this because the, the real existential 
threat that we have um, for us as humans, which is climate change, like that's still, you know, like we can't have conversations about right. that. And so even though this is threatening, we can have conversations about it because people can connect it to something that's on the scale of their personal experience and they can sort of talk about it and think through it. Um, so I think, you know, that it's, it's that relevance and value, right? It comes back to yeah. like it, like personal relevance and, and personal value. How do we use that to, you know, help support learning? And I think that's, yeah. some, that's, that's embedded in that ambitious science teaching that you're talking about. Like, yeah. And yeah. it's in, it, and I mean, I don't want to call out to that book because we're not reading it this week, but but it also talks yeah. about Brian Brown's yep. work, right? And the way that he thinks about um, people being able to talk with their own language about their own experience and that that's valuable and that helps, that is science, right? That is science talk and we have to recognize it as that. But um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So we've learned some things from 2020 we did. and we're hopefully going to apply them in 2021 and, and be better people be, and be better teachers and be better, you know, and, and, you know, things will taste sweeter and oh. life will be richer and, yes. you know, the sun will be brighter and the sky will be bluer. It's and we'll, we'll appreciate those uh, small human interactions that we may eventually be able to have in maybe summer. Yeah. Where we can, you know, shake hands with people or give people a hug that we, you know, are yeah. not in our direct household or our pod. Right. Play a yeah. game of Kube and, and yes. just enjoy it. Yeah. Is that your joy? Is that your joy for the week, Kube? Is that it? I, hey. I, 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 it's, it's, it's an option. I'm it's an saying. option. It's on the table. It's on it's the on table. The table. It, Kube is a Swedish yard game, in case yes. you were wondering. Go, go Google that. Either way, we'll put it in the show notes. But yeah. Yeah. Show notes there's at least one one listener i don't even know if he listens but there's at least one colleague of ours who uh is going to be excited for the kube call out so there's that so joyce yes. do, you, do, you, so, do you have one uh, I, I do all right yeah, rock yeah, and roll sure. okay all so right. um so i'm gonna i'm gonna deviate well no this isn't really deviate so <laughs> it's a Netflix show, right? So I was going to say it deviates from our typical though, in the sense. So I'm going to recommend a, um, a thing on Netflix, a, a program on Netflix called Sunderland till I die, which is a, um, which is, then this is why it deviates. This is a soccer related thing, right? So this is about the Sunderland football club, which is a club that, um, that I have emotional ties to because of a close colleague of mine who, this was his favorite team. And, and, um, this is Phil Scott, who was a science educator in, in England in at the university of Leeds. And this was his home club. And so whenever I saw him, he was always talking about Sunderland and we would watch matches together and drink beer together and enjoy Sunderland matches. And then he passed away. And so this program is about, um, is about Sunderland. And for those of you who don't, if you, see previous recommendation of Ted Lasso well worth watching because it helps you understand a bunch of this stuff, but they talk about, um, relegation. So premier league is the most, you know, the most prestigious, the highest caliber league in English football. And then the league below that league one. So the, the teams that finish in the bottom of premier league get what's called relegated. So they get moved down to league one. And so this is sort of the story of Sunderland as their, sort of teetering and they go into league one and how they're trying to get back into the premier league. And it's, you know, it's a documentary. It follows them through these, these things. And, you know, you don't have to be a football fan to enjoy it. Uh, but 
probably helps, uh, but it has certainly brought me joy and, and I'm enjoying it. So, and for all of our American listeners, when he, when Scott says football, he's talking soccer. Yeah, right. So football F U T right. B O L. And looking at, looking at our, our statistics of listeners, we actually have some European listeners. We do. So, we have some Irish. Those are my people. Yeah, those are your people. Those yeah, are your people. people. Those are my people. So Sunderland till I die is Scott's uh, joy of his week. Um, I'm going to uh, kind of deviate as well. I'm going to go um, music this week. Uh, what has been on in heavy rotation for me personally is old Stevie Wonder for some reason. I don't, I don't know how it, it came back into my life, but oh, actually I do know how it came back in. I was um, at uh, a, uh, a record store and I saw a, a an original vinyl pressing of- Wait, like uh, an actual record store. I just want an to actual record store. For our listeners who don't know what that is, you may want to explain. So, yeah, so there, there used to be these places and, they, and they're starting to come back and, you know, where you could go and buy, you know, vinyl, like not CDs, not, you know- They were not digitized. No. They were analog technology. Sure. And so I've kind of gotten back into vinyl um, probably within the last like two years. And I found an- uh, uh, original songs in the key of life which is one of stevie wonder's like you know awesome album there's so many mm-hmm. classic albums from stevie wonder but that's put me down in this rabbit hole of stevie wonder so what i'm finding myself is li- listening to songs in the key of life and talking book which are the, my two uh, two favorite albums of his just in constant rotation and if i'm even not near the you know the record player where you know it's connected to the house but if i'm like on i've been playing in you know for classes i was playing through the classes for in the fall when you know classes were opening up in zoom and so i've just been in this like stevie wonder mood and then you know definitely i i go back and forth if you ask me a day which is better talking book or songs in the key of life i kind of can make a strong argument for you the one of them um there's you know, so many awesome songs in both those albums. I think uh, Songs in the Key of Life is a double album, which is kind of, you know, it's a bonus. Not twice as good. Right. Yeah, sort of. So Stevie Wonder is my, my joy. I, I would say growing up, I, I didn't really, because like when, I, when we were growing up, it was like Stevie Wonder and, you know, Paul McCartney, you know, they were doing like that kind of stuff. But the old Stevie Wonder is so joyful and so happy and so just awesome. So, so such good stuff. So Stevie Wonder, Song in the Key of Life and Talking Book. Check it out. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, so hey, ha- happy 2021, Scott. And uh, looking for- to you, Ali. And I'm looking forward to uh, at least a few more weeks of this, right? <laughs> uh, a, few, a few more times in between. Yeah, well, it's it's been awesome that we 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 made it through. You know, we started doing this in what August or July or August of of 2020, and here we are starting off the new year together. And it's just been a it's been an awesome you know fall, and yeah. and and I'm looking forward to hanging with you lots this spring. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, yeah. This is just for those who are keeping track at home. This is episode 19. Yeah, look at us. Yeah, Which so is look at us. You know where we are. Yeah, I do. Go ahead, you say it. We're back in our prime. <laughs> yeah. Boom, there it is. Uh, I know. It's, yeah, it's the courtiest. There's going to be fewer and fewer opportunities for that. Mm, so you may as I well. I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. We got to wait uh-huh. till 23. And then after that, it gets, you know. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, 29. Mm, yeah. I think we're not going to. That that feels like a pretty nerdy thing to do, which is like sit and list prime numbers. <laughs> like, there's, I'm sure there's at least one person out there who's like, who just kept going in there. Yeah, oh, for there, sure. There is. They're like, oh. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's like uh, digits of pi, right? Right. 
3.14159. And then somebody else is like, yeah, they just keep going with it. Yep. Going. Well, I think that's probably a good place for us to, you know, uh, you know, put a period at the end of the sentence. People are desperately wanting us to stop now. Please, please. Please, No more. Well, uh, well, thanks for being here and we'll see you next time in between. In between. All right.